And really, the only way we're going to get to our overall climate goals is if we address construction engineering. And so I think once I'd realized that, then, you know, it became clear that I wanted to do something, something entrepreneurial, but in the construction and engineering space. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Series 4 of the Climate Pioneers Show. This is a show where we speak to the innovators, the change makers, and the enablers that are driving forward the climate industry. But now we're back and almost halfway through Series 4, our first US-focused series, where we're featuring the stories of climate tech innovators on the East Coast of the US. We're learning about the important work that they're doing to combat the climate crisis, and we're digging into what inspired them to take action in the first place. But most importantly, we are going to be getting their tips. We're going to be finding out about the communities and the organisations that have helped them along the way, the books and the podcasts that they recommend, and the productivity hacks that they use to manage their workload. And today I am delighted to be joined by Joseph Bromowski, the CEO of Algoma. Partnering with real estate developers, they're working towards automated repeat delivery of zero carbon buildings. And in a world where we need to keep building, we need to make sure we're doing it in the least carbon intensive way. And Algoma have that solution. Joseph and his co-founders launched the business in May 2023. And with his background in civil engineering and time spent working both for a major contractor and a major engineering consultancy, he's had insight into both sides of the construction sector. And that, combined with his MBA, have set him in very good stead for launching a business addressing this problem. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing more about the journey uh, and learning about what Joseph and the team are planning for 2024. So Joseph, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. My pleasure. So are you able to, first of all, share with us a little bit more about Algoma? What's the problem space that you're in? Um, and exactly how is the solution that you've come up with addressing that? And how is it unique in the space? Yeah, so I mean, I mean the problem that we set out to address are, are kind of three major problems that I think everyone's pretty aware of in the construction and engineering industry. The first is, uh, you know, particularly in the US, we need 6 million new homes to meet current demand. Um, it remains a very uh, unsustainable and climate intensive industry. Uh, buildings as an asset class contribute 40% of global greenhouse gases. Um, a significant portion of these are from the building materials we use. You know, mm -hmm. if, if concrete were a country, it would be the third highest emitter behind the US and China, which yeah. is that I always find sort of staggering. And, and it's still an industry that has yet to be truly disrupted by technology. You know, mm -hmm. it, it hasn't seen the productivity improvements that something like manufacturing has. And, and there's still a huge amount of opportunity for, for technology to improve how we deliver homes and, and buildings in general. Mm -hmm. um, so we're setting out to try and solve some of these um, problems um, to try and automate some of the architecture and engineering that goes into creating net zero buildings. Um, so we can speed up the delivery of homes, um, we can make it cheaper and faster, and and most importantly, perhaps uh, make it sustainable um, so that we're using building materials that are much more climate friendly than the ones that are currently in use. Amazing. And how does that come in from a cost parity perspective? Because often one of the challenges and one of the things that holds developers back from using right. more I suppose, less carbon intensive materials is getting to that cost parity, but it's cheaper to do it the way right. we've always done it. Right. So, so yeah, right. talk, talk me through how you make it viable, I suppose, for them in that sense. 
Yeah, well, I think speed is speed is the key to making these things um, uh, economically viable. Yeah, you know, on any construction project, about fifty percent of the cost is labor. Um, so if you can find ways to significantly shorten the overall construction program, then you're going to be able to find uh, you know significant cost savings ultimately for the real estate developer or or the home builder. Um, and I think that is the key to making these projects economically viable before you get cost parity because the key on the material side to get it down to as cheap as building materials that have been in use for you know 50 years is scale like you have to be uh building at a huge scale all across the country um and until that happens the key and and you know we've seen uh we've seen you know eco-friendly building materials increase pretty significantly over the past few years we use in particular mass timber which is this form of engineered wood that's super strong and fire resistant um, and it's essentially a replacement for concrete and steel um, uh, and and it's coming down to cost parity between concrete and steel but the the key to making the overall project uh, cheaper than the traditional approach is is through the speed of delivery amazing I love that. Okay, cool. And and where did this kind of passion and interest in climate and sustainability specifically come from? Is that something that you were interested in right through sort of from your civil engineering and early construction days or even before that? Where where did where did it come from? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've always been interested in climate issues. Um, mm. but probably I think that the turning point was the realization um that the industry I was working in, construction and engineering, has such a huge impact on overall carbon emissions that was something that i just did not know probably for the first you know five six years of my career i had no idea of the stats it's you know everyone i think thinks of transport mm-hmm. as a kind of easy connection to make with the um overall carbon emissions and i j- just hadn't connected buildings building materials uh with those kind of stats and i think it was when i started you know looking more into that and realizing that the impact it has that it's such a huge proportion of the overall emissions and and really the only way we're going to get to our overall climate goals is if we address construction engineering and so i think once i'd realized that then you know it became clear that i wanted to do something something entrepreneurial but in the construction and engineering space Amazing. Um, and yeah, you're right. I think it's it's one of those stats that most people don't know, right? right. Um, and probably a lot of people in the construction sector don't know. But I think the impact of cement is double that of aviation, right? But aviation right. is the one that you hear more about. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, have you always known? I mean, you said once you realized that and once the penny dropped, that was when you kind of thought, right, I want to do something about that. Was that when the entrepreneurial spark came in? Or has that kind of always been there as well? I think it's always been there, um, but I think it took a long time for me to get the sort of courage to really pursue it. I think it's a big Mm -hmm. jump going from the safety of working in a sort of large corporation to doing something entrepreneurial. Um, Ultimately, I think entrepreneurship is the best route to making an impact. So I think, you know, if if it's something, if there's something that you want to make an impact on or, or some kind of issue, um, that you're incredibly passionate about. I think entrepreneurship is the route to making that impact and through that. But, you know, it takes or it took me, I don't think it necessarily takes everyone, but it took me, you know, a while to to get up the courage and feel comfortable enough uh, to actually pursue it and actually undertake something entrepreneurial. 
Yeah. Oh, understandable. It's a huge, and like you said, having come from such large organizations that you've been in Balfour, BT, ACOM, to, to go from that to on your own is a huge, it's night and day, isn't it? Um, and your, where did where did you meet your co-founders and how did where did that moment come when you did get that confidence and you did think, right, we're going to do this? Yeah. Um, so I don't think there's ever I think one of the realizations was, you know, there's never a moment where you're like, oh, now I feel comfortable enough or now I think I know enough to do it. But it, I think the realization was that moment never comes and you've just got to you've just got to take that leap um, um, at some point. I. I took the route, which was uh, to go and study an MBA, uh, actually in the US. So I was working in London before that, came to the US um, to study uh, MBA. Um, and, you know, that allowed me a, a number of things. First, it sort of gave me the space to really uh, plan out, uh, you know, how the business model plan out, uh, how we're going to approach it, you know, give, it basically give you a period of time where you can really uh, plan out how the business is going to work. And I'd come from an engineering background, so it also provided some kind of necessary business skills mm. um, in kind of setting up and starting that business. And it allowed me to meet my two other co-founders, uh, which mm -hmm. were incredibly important for the overall business. So my route was to go and sort of take this study, uh, do an MBA, um, and that allowed me to, you know, put all the pieces together. Um, it also allowed me to start the sort of fundraising journey while in the safety net of still doing this MBA, which, you know, allows you a bit more flexibility and a, a bit more confidence to sort of go out and do that, um, knowing that you're still part of this kind of overall MBA program. And did you have the idea for Algoma prior to undertaking the MBA? And was the MBA almost to give you the knowledge and the confidence you needed to act upon the idea you'd had? Or did the idea kind of come to you as you were doing the MBA? Yeah, the idea was definitely sort of formed during the MBA. I think th there was a big regulation change that happened in the US in, in 2021, uh, mm -hmm. which was this material mass timber, this this form of engineered wood. Uh, basically, the International Building Code got updated um, to allow construction up to 18 stories using this mass, uh, using this material, um, this eco-friendly material, whereas previously it was around sort of six stories. So that, that was like a massive regulation change that happened in 2021. And, and that was kind of the catalyst to start thinking about, you know, how could we build a business um, around kind of net zero construction um, using this material uh, now that the regulatory environment is much more friendly, um, particularly in the US. Amazing. And that's great timing, right? Because I, I genuinely feel like the most successful climate startups are the ones that are at that nexus of regulatory change or regulatory pressure either fair, you know either carrot or stick on the regulatory side making it timely whilst at the same time you're saving your clients and customers money and there's a climate benefit if you can get all those three right. things together then yeah that's yeah. perfect great I, okay. I, I think it's i think it's so important for climate solutions in general to to just be a really good product almost without the sustainability benefits like you know if you look at tesla's website all of yeah sustainability is is not mentioned anywhere on their website they don't really talk about their eco credentials everyone knows about it of course but they mm -hmm. set out to build the best car and to compete as the best car and then the sustainability is you know a, an amazing benefit on top of that but they're sort of competing at the car level and i think that is you know a useful approach for any climate tech uh founder to to really 
you know, not rely purely on the sustainability aspects because it can be it can be a difficult fight. Absolutely agree. And so from Algoma's perspective, for you, it's it's the the efficiency, the speed of, of yeah. build as well. And, and how do they compare in terms of quality and yeah. sort of durability and, and things like sort of in storm zones like hurricane zones and earthquake areas and things? And what, how do they work there? Yeah, well, I think one of their to answer the first part of the, that question first, hmm. uh, one of their key selling points is you can create these amazing aesthetics on the inside. So because you're leaving uh, this mass timber exposed, it creates these incredible like warm, natural interiors. Um, and now there's, you know, there's quite a few mass timber buildings appearing in the US. I would advise any listener to sort of go and uh, go and stand in one because they have an amazing natural feel inside. And I think humans have kind of a natural connection being in these buildings and you immediately feel the difference to like a concrete or steel structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is key to the overall product being like an end product for people to live in. Um, and then uh, on the question on the kind of like earthquake storms, um, you know, these buildings have been put up in earthquake zones, in uh, in high wind tornado areas. Um, you can create structures that are just as strong as as any other type of building and that are safe to build in any of these areas. Um, you know, all these buildings have hybrid components. You're still using concrete foundations. Um, you can still create like a core to stabilize some, some of the horizontal forces. Um, so it's all about how the buildings are created, but these these materials are safe to build, you know, anywhere, anywhere across the US and the world. Okay, fantastic. And and how do they work around kind of local planning acts and specific requirements in particular areas? I'm thinking, you know, here in the UK, we have lots of conservation areas and really stringent planning rules about particular building materials. How, yeah. how, how do they fit with that? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in the US, there was this change, right, where, which was mm-hmm. the International Building Code allowed up to 18 stories. And then states have been adopting this regulation change um, at different rates. So I think we're now at about 55 to 60 percent of the U.S. states have adopted these kind of 18 stories mass timber provisions. And the rest have kind of timetables of when they're being adopted at different rates. Um, The U.K. is actually uh, strangely a market, although I'm from the U.K., I know less about on the mass timber elements. Um, Mm -hmm. Mass timber construction has been more difficult in the UK because after the uh, Grenfell Tower tragedy, um, a lot of the building code restrictions were made uh, kind of tighter. Um, Obviously, mass timber didn't play a part in that tragedy, but um, it was kind of a casualty of those overall regulation change. But um, I think the UK has just released a uh, timber in construction roadmap Mm-hmm. um where and i think that was released this week or or last week um and that is starting to look at how can we use timber more in the construction industry in the uk because everyone's starting to realize like it is basically the only material that is going to allow construction to truly have a sustainable future yeah absolutely yeah 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 okay and and so you're about 9 months in now is that right to this journey exactly yeah we we yeah. we sort of launched officially in May uh, once we graduated or once I graduated from the from the MBA. We'd been working on it before that uh, for for you know a number of months, but that was our sort of official launch time, and and have been yeah working on it full time since then, sort of nine months, I guess. 
And what do those first nine months look like? Talk me through what, what you know, what have been the highs and the proud moments and the achievements and, and, and what are some of the challenges and struggles been in that time as well? Uh, yeah, well, it's certainly been a roller coaster, as I think all <laughs> entrepreneurial journeys are. And, you know, it's been a pretty uh, tumultuous uh, macroeconomic environment as well. Mm-hmm. But we um, definitely the highlights are we raised a sort of pre-seed round sort of right at the beginning of that period as we were graduating, which has given us the kind of funds for about 18 months. We started working on our first project, first mass timber project, which is going to be here in the US, um, which has been very exciting. Um, but, you know, it's it's a difficult period, um, mm-hmm. especially for, well, for VC investment, it's a difficult period this year. And for real estate development, it's a difficult period. You know, interest rates going up the way they have in the US has put a lot of development on hold. Um, uh, and, and the kind of overall environment has been challenging. But, you know, I think that is you know it just makes you have to be really um focused um and really sure that your solution ultimately is a better solution because you're not getting you're not getting anything for free in the current environment no you're absolutely right and i think to have raised a pre-seed at such an early stage in the business's inception is incredible to have done so in this economic environment is doubly incredible so congratulations on that um but yeah, you're right. It's been challenging on both those sides of the fence, right? On that VC side and on the and on the development side. And are you focused predominantly on um, domestic builds and housing, or or is it more commercial, or are you looking at both sides? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we we would look to both sides. I think right yeah. now for these first few test projects, um, to show our approach and 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 show the speed of delivery and show the end product that we're trying to create, we're focusing on multifamily. Um, like the US needs a, a lot of new homes. So, you know, that fundamental like macro demand factor, I think is is positive and it's why we're focused on it. Right now, office commercial, you know, every major company is is trying to wrangle with the fact, are their employees coming in? Are they doing a hybrid? What should they do with their office space? Um, couple that with interest rates going up it's that's a tougher sector I think to be in right now so so right now for these test projects um we're focusing on the multifamily and and particularly uh uh, buildings that are between sort of four and twelve stories because that's where we can get the most efficiency and I think that's where we can create the most value for for real estate developers amazing so that kind of mid-rise domestic yeah Okay, right. makes sense. Yeah. But and, and and regulatory wise, I know we touched on this slightly already because yeah. state by state, these these building codes are getting rolled out. But how are you feeling about how the regulatory market and policies and attitudes in general are yeah. in work in or against your favour next year? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of positive things happening on the regulatory environment. Um, mm. For example, uh, both New York um, and Atlanta. Um, recently ran uh, mass timber accelerators, uh, as they called them, which were giving grants to projects to consider the use of mass timber, to consider the use of using this material in their development project that they're working on, and they were awarding it to different projects. Um, And I think that demonstrates that these were obviously set up by cities to encourage this type of construction. And I think that speaks to the how the overall regulatory environment is changing. Um, mm. The governments, 
um, and cities are trying to encourage this type of construction. They're understanding the benefits of it, the sustainability, the speed, the aesthetics, um, and they're really starting to to support it with through these grants. Um, and I hope that we will see more of that continue in 2024. We'll see more cities um, starting programs like these, and maybe even support at the federal federal level as well. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And and what is the embodied carbon difference between a mass timber building versus a concrete right. building, for example? Yeah, so for a for a 10-story building, um, if you create a mass timber building as opposed to concrete and steel, you save about 4,000 metric tons of carbon. Um, so that's the same as taking about 900 cars off the road. Um, so and that's, that's just one building. Yeah. Wow. So, so there's a huge, there's a huge benefit to using mass mm-hmm. timber from a, from a um, carbon standpoint. And, and you're obviously using wood um, mm-hmm. that has trapped carbon in itself over its life of its tree. And you're, you're locking that carbon away for, you know, the duration of that building. And even when that building gets demolished, you can reuse that mass timber, you can disassemble and reuse it. Um, so there's a huge, there's a huge, um, uh, climate benefit. You obviously have to source from, uh, uh, you know, uh, well-managed um, forestry that mm-hmm. you're not depleting the overall forest stock. But if you look in the US, um, forest overall forest has actually increased over the last 50 years quite significantly. Um, in the southeast, it, it's grown by about 30 uh, percent extra yeah. forest in the last um, 50 years, which is always a well, at least it was a surprising statistic for me. Yeah. So th- there is a significant amount of wood um, that mm-hmm. is being grown in the US and, and it can be managed sustainably. So you're not contributing to any disforestation and you're locking carbon away in these buildings while avoiding using very carbon intensive materials like concrete, like steel. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Okay. And talk me through the highlights. You mentioned the pre-seed round yeah. being one of them um what 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 else are you particularly proud of and and what have you got coming up that you're excited about on the same on the same day yeah um well we've been we've been part of a number of a number of accelerators um here in new york city uh we were part of urban x um uh, accelerator that supports kind of climate tech and urban tech startups um uh, that's run by mini um, as well as being part of Hacks, uh, which is part of SOSV, which is investment fund, they also had an accelerated program. Um, so that's been amazing experience and, and super helpful when you're an early stage startup and trying to sort out so many different things. Um, uh, but ultimately, you know, we we want to be able to demonstrate our product, demonstrate the benefits it can bring. So so working on this um, initial project is super exciting. Um, we are hiring as well, which is exciting. We're looking for a head of structural engineering. Um, so if there is anyone out there listening who knows a candidate who could be suitable, um, there's a, a job posting on our LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, would would love to receive applications for that as well. Excellent. Well, fingers crossed the perfect person will be listening and will come to you through this. I very much hope so. Um, and from an accelerator perspective, you said you've been a member of a couple of them now. Yeah. As- a fledgling business what are the key benefits you think you get from from going through those accelerators and in your experience what have been the most valuable takeaways that you've had from those yeah i think you know there are lots of accelerators out there and and they Mm. all offer sort of a slightly different set of um 
um, criteria. But I, I think, you know, you can't, and, and you can't rely on them to be like, they're going to make your business work. But they are an amazing kind of support function. Um, often they have, uh, you know, great brands. Um, so if you're looking for people to hire or connections into people, you can leverage their brand to, to meet people, um, mm -hmm. to talk to them. Uh, it, they're just great kind of centers of a network. You know, they've got previous companies that have gone through them. They have experts that work with them. Uh, they have investors that know them. So I, I think it's always like a lot of these things is is the ability to just talk to more people I, I think entrepreneurship in general a lot of it is just like uh creating as many potential opportunities or opportunities for random good things to happen and yeah. that's just by talking to so many people meeting as many people you can talking to other companies and then you just never know what's going to happen and and accelerators i think a way are a way of maximizing that opportunity for something random and good to happen super yeah i could not agree with that more i absolutely think there's no such thing as a wasted conversation is there in those early days because you never know what you'll learn who that person knows who they can put you in touch with and the more you put out into the world yeah it'll yeah. it'll come back at some point so yeah great advice Perfect. and i think you know i think people want to support you in general like if yeah. if they see your you're an early stage startup and you're fully committed to what you're doing. You know, you're the one taking the risk and you demonstrate that you're like fully committed to this idea. People will help you. Um, but once they see that kind of commitment, I think that would be my advice for people who are thinking about, uh, you know, doing a startup or taking that jump is, is once you commit and people see that random good stuff tends to happen. Absolutely. And and you mentioned there already about hiring for a structural engineer. So already put the shout out there, yeah. anyone that knows somebody or is somebody that could be good at that job to check it out. Are there any other asks that you would have? What, you know, anything else that would really help you next year? Any connections, any intros, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're always looking to meet and talk to real estate developers. Ultimately, mm -hmm. they're our customer. Um, they're the person we, we do projects for. Um, and so, you know, we are, we love talking to real estate de developers, demonstrating, you know, our software, how it works, um, how we do the the design and engineering process. So, so the opportunity to speak to any real estate developers who might be interested um, in our approach is, is always valuable to us. Superb. Excellent. Um, and we always round out these episodes with some quick fire recommendations. If you're, if you're ready, okay. if you're up for it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the first one being a community or organization, sort of people-based resource. What right. communities do you feel have most supported you on your journey so far? Yeah, well, I, I think probably my best answer is if there's anyone interested in learning more about mass timber specifically, the online free community and resource of Woodworks um, you can find them on their site. It has an amazing amount of free information um, and and people to talk to um, about using mass timber. So I would say anyone who who's hearing about mass timber first time, I think that's that's a great one to to check out. Superb. And what about a media based resource? So a book, a podcast, a TED talk, a film, documentary that that has been valuable, informative, inspiring to you uh, along the way. Yeah, I probably think to learn about you know i'm obviously based in the us learn about startups in the us how mm -hmm. venture capitalists think how to like create a business that that they're interested in i think zero to one by peter Thiel is is a pretty short concise but amazingly 
helpful insight into that whole world. Okay. So how to build something that will be attractive as an investment vehicle, essentially. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess it's, it's how to build a business um, Mm. and and it's how to make your startup successful, but it's also Mm. about how to, um, I guess, demonstrate that to potential investors. Right. I see. Fabulous. And what about a productivity tip? And that could be anything like a tool, a methodology, anything that, that, that helps you to manage the craziness of the, the founder work-life balance. Yeah. I mean, mine, I guess, is is probably not that exciting and, and maybe personal, but it's always, I, just, I always just have to keep doing some form of exercise, otherwise to keep my mind clear. Otherwise, everything gets on top of me and uh, and things start falling apart. So, so trying to do just 30 minutes of, of whatever it is a day, I think mm-hmm. for me is is life changing. And what's your exercise of choice? Running. Very, yeah. very boring, but I find <laughs> kind of meditative. But brilliant because meditative, yeah. free, you can do it anywhere. I wish I loved running. I've never yeah. got the time. Yeah. <laughs> Every now and again, I force myself to go for a run and I think maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will be the run where I get the bug and I know 37 it hasn't happened yet (laughs) it'll happen it'll happen well I didn't Paula Radcliffe discover running quite late on so there's still hope yeah yeah exactly exactly. absolutely well Joseph thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate you taking the time to share that journey share those experiences and and share what you're working on Um, and thank you to everybody that's listening whether you're listening to us live or whether you're listening to us on catch-up I really appreciate you taking the time um, and, and spending it with us. And if they have missed any of the episodes in this series so far, you can go and catch them either on my LinkedIn page, you can watch them on YouTube in video format, or if you want to listen to them on the go, um, you can catch them all on Spotify, Acast and Apple Podcasts. But for now, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.